Hello and welcome to It's More Than Money. It's More Than Money has a focus to bring you inspiring stories from real people who strive to improve every day. People who aren't willing to settle for the status quo, they've shaken off any limiting beliefs they might have had and they've just gone after what they really want in life. We'll have all kinds of guests, we'll have business owners, entrepreneurs, masters of the mind, industry game changers and money experts who will all, through their own stories, provide invaluable insights into creating a life you never thought possible. Good morning, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining It's More Than Money. We are super excited to have you on our podcast to talk about mental health and your book, Breaking Into My Life. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm so excited. I'm in here in the US and I'm so excited that you have invited me to your to your podcast all the way on the other side of the globe. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> and you've got some valuable information to share. Uh, your, your content and your book um, was just amazing. And I think in times of know business and life and in general you know we forget these stories and your story is an inspiring story that I thought our listeners would love to hear and give them some hope and some tools for their back pocket that if they've ever going through this or supporting someone with a mental health illness um, they can lean onto this podcast with us and they can listen to it a thousand times if they have to if it inspires them or gives them some hope. So thank can, you. And then they can find oh, you and all your resources awesome. as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Can I can I start with how did the book start breaking into my life? I, I it, you know it comes from a mum living with a mum with bipolar. So right. how did that book um, start? Like how did you create that book and when? Sure. I had the courage uh, to write my memoir about my mother uh, after I gave a TED talk about my mother. And so I had never had the courage to go in front of a large group and tell my story, but the validation and the love and support that I received after I gave that TED Talk just confirmed the importance of actually writing my story and humanizing that mental health experience with my mom. So it was that was like the really the the turning point for me to say, okay, It's time to write your story. As hard as it's going to be, you have the opportunity to do something with this story. So it took me about four years. I released it in the beginning of 2018. Now, Michelle, given there is such a stigma around mental health, I mean, we can jump into that a little later, but given such a stigma around mental health, how did you, had that courage come about, excuse me, to stand on the stage and tell your story? Yeah, I did not put myself on that stage. I was nominated by a colleague of mine who oh. just thought <laughs> she thought, you know, Surprise. you have a you have a story, you should tell it because there's probably so many people within our company because we had our own TED platform. She's like there's probably so many people in the company that could relate to that. And so Um, It was uncomfortable. It was definitely not a stigma-free environment that I was working in. So it was very, it was a very courageous thing to do to Mm. actually stand there and be like that vulnerable. But, but I was deeply flattered and it was such a tremendous opportunity to finally start to talk about something that I had kept a secret and was really, you know, kind of suppressed for so many years. Did it actually feel good? to get some of it out and especially to so many people all eyes were on you at that stage I remember I believe and you're going holy moly this is daunting but as it started to come out did it just start to flow and felt good it did and that's such a such a good question because it did it was actually like the first it was actually one of the pivotal moments for me to start to heal myself was to actually 
um, celebrate my mom, but also reveal um, some of the things I kept dormant inside of me. So it was, it was, a, it was a release. But the book, I would say, was more of a release because that was a four-year cathartic writing process that went through unearthing a lot of experiences. So it was, just, it was sort of like twofold, the TED Talk and the, and the story. Yeah, okay. Because uh, your story, to me, it's so uh, it's such a healing process, isn't it? It's healing, and there's so many lessons. And and some, I would love you to share with our our, our beautiful listeners some of the lessons in your journey um, that could help them if they're going through it now, or they could actually help one of their friends or family members. The lessons. Yeah. So for me, you know, I was a little girl when my mom started to demonstrate signs and symptoms of bipolar. And so I just related to it as a roller coaster. Like some days she was up and some days she was down. And so for me, um, I didn't know any different. I didn't know that my, my best friend next door had an entirely different childhood experience. That was just my experience, right? And I didn't have the choice to care for her. It was sort of an unspoken expectation of me to really make sure she was okay because she was sort of like the weakest link in the family and everyone was looking after her. So for me, I didn't have a choice, but what I, what I love to share with caregivers out there who have a loved one who struggles, I would always say, make sure that you're taking care of yourself. It's, it, you know, for me, I got lost in caring for my mom because I didn't know better. And it came from a genuine place of just wanting to ease her pain and wanting her experience to not be so um, upsetting for her and for the family. So I got lost in it. And I think a lot of mm -hmm. caregivers coming from a very genuine, loving, caring place do the same. And then before they know it, they, they aren't feeling well, and then they can't care for themselves or their loved one. So I, the most important thing is, is have boundaries and really make yourself a priority. It's okay. It's necessary for you to do that. What uh, are some things that you did to help yourself? So reflecting on, I guess yeah. now in hindsight, hindsight is a great thing. You can look back and go, I should have, and I would have. Mm -hmm. Now with hindsight, looking back, how would you taking care of yourself a lot better? Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I found coping mechanisms. So I, I you know, I did, I did pretty good. I, I, I don't know about other, other, you know, child caregivers out there who care for someone with a mental mm. illness. But for me, I found mechanisms. I was extremely resourceful. So like I found, you know, my youth group, for example, where I could be vulnerable and tell my story. I found my girlfriend and her mother who I felt like I was almost like a surrogate daughter to her mother. So I, I got love from her. Um, I write about it in the book that like I found the comfort uh, and validation and affection from boys, probably not the healthiest thing, but I did what I had to do to get attention <laughs> yeah. and to get, and to feel loved and to feel cared for because I was missing that at home. So mm. I found my own mechanisms to do that. But, you know, in hindsight, I would say I should have had a therapist the entire time because I internalized a lot of it. I took mm. on the responsibility of my mother's illness. I actually thought I could affect her well-being, and I really mm. couldn't. So I think a therapist would have been an amazing thing for any child who has a mother that's or a father that has a mental illness. So they need to understand, you know, where the line in the sand is and that they're not responsible or accountable for their well-being of their loved one. Yes, yeah, so and Michelle, I'm so interested to know how your workplace, uh, how your workplace ended up um, 
learning from your TED talk because you were saying that it was sort of out of your scope of environment and yeah. to get up on stage. So mental health in workplaces uh, is massive, but sometimes not spoken about. It is definitely getting a lot, lot better. A lot of people are leaning into those conversations. But how did it change your workplace and your colleagues when you got up on stage with so much courage to share your story? I think I was one of the first ones. We, I was one of the first speakers on our TED stage that eventually it continued on for years. But I was one of the first people to talk about mental health and mental illness openly, mm. which I think opened the door for so many other people to surface and tell their story. So you can just imagine how many people in the world are affected in some way by a mental illness and the different colors and flavors and experiences that there are. So after me came many other speakers. One um, in particular told the story of his daughter who tried to commit suicide and how he got the phone call from the police officer. That was really the catalyst that actually had so many people come out of the darkness and want to rally around and create a culture that was stigma free because so many people could relate to that story, to other stories, to my story, you know, from everything from postpartum depression to, you know, losing a friend to suicide, all these stories started to come out. And, and that actually um, forced sort of change to happen organically within our company, which I thought was remarkable. And then I had my book and I was able to go around to leaders and say, <laughs> here's my story. Why don't you initiate a conversation at your next team meeting or your next department meeting? Maybe share some resources available because more people in the company are caring for someone with a mental illness than they are dealing with it. So we all, we all are affected. So why not normalize it and start talking about it? Yeah, I just, um, I was reading one of your blogs the other day and um, the quotes, um, what I just want to summarize to our listeners, it was saying, when it hit me, this fight was so similar to our brains. Life will pummel us with challenges and stun us with challenging life events that feel like they're hitting us square across the face. And it is in that pivotal moment where we have the choice. We can either allow it to totally take us down bounce right back up immediately and not allow it to totally crush the little bit of momentum that was still we had left in us the magic really is bouncing back and I just absolutely loved that and it is it's the magic of bouncing back getting back up and saying this is a new day and um, looking up because we forget to look up and look at the sky sometimes don't we and um, yes you know how did you find that magic every day because it would have been living with a mum with bipolar there yeah. would have been every day would have been a different day so how did you find that inner strength as a young child to to find the magic in life yeah you know I think it my mom's uh, depression served me in many ways my mom had this very dark outlook on life. And, you know, when she was looking out at life and not having um, any ambition or enthusiasm about it, that was such contrast in how I was feeling. So it actually made my zest for life even more vibrant because I was like, how could she not see the sky is blue? Everything is great. We have, we have this amazing home we live in. Like, how could she not see that? So I think for me, 
the contrast actually gave me the ability to appreciate and look for it. You know, my friends would tell you, I look for the good in every crappy situation. And they, they sort of find me annoying in that regard. But like, <laughs> like I spent days with my mother crying in the, in the television room and I would be looking outside and going, but look at that bird up in the tree and look at how beautiful the blue sky is. Like I, I was trained to find the good in bad. And I think that has served me in so many ways, you know, because to look through life through her lens yeah. is hard. Mm. I just have to admire your resilience there. That's unbelievable to sit there and mm. still be able to look out the window and go, hey, mum, I don't know what's going on here. There's a bird out there. It's much nicer out the window. Why are you still crying? Yeah. That's an amazing yeah. resilience. And I imagine that's what you've taken into adult life. And that's what's kept moving you yeah. forward. Exactly. You know, um, as bad as things could get, I've had quite a few blows in my life. <laughs> I've always tr tried really hard to find that, you know, silver lining. What's there? What's the good? Yeah. Um, and I don't, I'm not perfect and I don't always have great days and I still struggle with, with not being able to see it. But for the mm. most part, I actually am always able to find something positive yeah. to grasp onto. Is it a practice of gratitude as well? Is that partly oh, let's look absolutely. for the positive and be grateful for what's, what's there and what is great around us? 100%. It is absolutely um, getting present to the, what is going right. When everything yeah. is going wrong, it's really having the, um, the wherewithal to say, okay, so what is going right? Because yeah. there's so much that's not right now. And I think part so, yeah. of it too, uh, expectations and now I'm, I apologize for not quoting Tony Robbins accurately, but I believe it, or this is where I saw it, it come from one of his presentations or videos, whatever the case may be. And he was talking about setting the expectation from the time you wake up in the morning. And he said, yes. there are some people out there that are literally so grateful and 110% happy that they just actually woke up and they have a life and a day ahead of them. Whereas others will wake up and go, I'm late. I've got to get to work. I've yeah. got to get rushed. I've got to do this. I've got this on today. So there's automatically jumping into a lack mentality. So yes. they're starting out the day with feeling like they're already behind. Yeah. Whereas other yeah. people, as he said, you said, it's just a matter of expectation. You lower it down to, hey, I've woken up and I feel good. I'm breathing. Yes. Everything's working. Mm -hmm. What a great day. I've got a big question for our listeners and for corporate owners and business owners. How do you drive real change in your in a company culture for those with invisible disabilities? Now, when I say invisible disabilities, we can we we we, we physically cannot see a person with a mental illness. How do you drive real change in these companies? What are some of the suggestions and ideas that you could be able to help our listeners that are business owners or even people that are just in a massive culture, um, you know, corporate business that, that may, they may yeah. be able to stand up and go, I want to start having some real conversations about mental health for invisible disabilities. Yeah. So there's a lot of really great things. I am fortunate to have, um, to have actually because of my life experience and my experience in my company um, and dealing with my own depression mm. two years ago, I actually created my own mental health company. So I'm working 
working now with two very um, large pharmaceutical companies, and we're actually addressing their culture. And the things that we're doing is we're, we're really looking at what is their existing culture? What do they do have in place for people with mental illness or invisible disabilities? And how do we build on that? So I think fundamentally, it starts with a trusting culture, leaders that are willing to invest in building trust, trusting rapports with their people. Um, on my website, I have uh, five steps to cultivating a culture of compassion because that's really what you're out to do is create a compassionate environment. Think about how many hours a week we're spending in the workplace, right? Mm. And to think that we have employees who have to put their game face on, go to work and pretend that they left their mental illness at home. Think of the added burden <laughs> and anxiety that they yeah, imagine trying to function and, and pretend mm. that you're okay. So there's, mm. you know, so it, it starts with like a clear vision, a commitment from the senior level within the company that they are going to be a truly diversified, you know, diversity and inclusion is a priority for them. Mm. And that means people with all abilities. So what does that look like? A remit? What, what are their policies around this look like? Do they need to be revamped? How about just easy, easy, easily accessible mental health care? If someone yeah. needs it, right? Yeah. Someone raises their hand, finally has the courage, mm. and then they're told two, three weeks for a doctor. That doesn't work. Yeah, okay. Have you, have you found in your experience, and in particular, your living proof of you got on stage and then quite a big stage, and then that allowed you then to go, hey, this feels good. I'm going to start talking about this a lot more. Yes. This is actually helping. So do you find in workplaces that, it's a domino effect. It's just that first little moment, the door just opens slightly to start talking and then it just keeps snowballing from there that people go, oh, okay, well, Michelle spoke about it. Hey, uh, I'm feeling like this as well and it just opens that door and then more and more people get on board. You find that? There's a relatedness for sure. It takes courage to go first, but if you could go first Mm. or cultivate an environment where you have courageous employees who want to tell their story and them going first creates uh, an access and a relatedness for other people to go, wow, I dealt with that. I know what you're dealing with. Or Mm. you did this, you, you navigated your own depression and you came out on the other side. Wow. You represent hope that I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be able to get through this and come back to work, or I'm going to be able to get through this and continue to work, whatever that means. But there's Mm. so many little things that can be done to really create more compassion and therefore have people more connected and more want to be um, treated and and be healthy and contributing in their company. Yeah. I think I was reading, um, listening to one of your podcasts and it was turning your mess into turning your mess into your message. I absolutely love that podcast. Um, where did that? That's a good, that's a good message. I yeah. Like that one. yeah. <laughs> Would you be able to give a, like a, a brief explanation to our listeners of what that podcast was about and what yeah. the message? This is a bit of a, it's a bit of a test Kelly. Cause I do a lot of podcasts. Yeah. So now you're asking me to really remember this yeah. one. No, I yeah. love this one uh, for so many reasons because when you think about you know, we all have something in our lives that that was a turning point for us or a challenge and we've overcome it, right? So I I thought that this was appropriate to call to call it um, from your mess to your message because mm-hmm. had I never experienced my mother's bipolar, had I never I, I I do talk about this in the podcast, had I never experienced my mother's bipolar, had I never dealt with my own depression in my forties, 
had I never been part of a big change effort in my own company, I would have never been able to do some of the things I'm doing if I didn't have the perspective that I had from my childhood. And I actually write about this in my book. I have an entire epilogue at the end of the book where I talk about how all those experiences of my childhood to this day serve me in a positive way as well. They really do. They lit the fire in my, in my belly to, to cause change, to openly talk about it. And I honor my mother when I get to do that. And oh. you've got, you had, uh, I guess, the clearest path in front of you your whole life, which is I can choose to go down that road of my mother or something similar, or I yeah. can choose to look out the window and see the sunshine and the birds. Yeah. And it was a very clear path for you to choose. And obviously you chose a path that's, that served you better, notwithstanding that there's been some challenges like we all have. But right. the, for you, as you went along, and this is part of uh, what you've created as you've gone into business and, and different corporations, you've created what was called a, a culture of compassion. And there's five steps involved in that. Yeah. How do, what are they? And I guess yeah. a little bit of background of them. Yeah, sure. So this was what I witnessed when, when I was part of um, my large uh, Fortune 50 company, the things that we were doing as, um, as a mental health employee resource group and what the company was doing to support creating a stigma-free environment. So um, I mentioned before, it's a clear vision from the top level of the company, policies that align accessible mental health, even education of people leaders. So I have, a, I have a little bit of a tender spot there because I was dealing with depression in a company that was trying to become stigma-free and was, was really um, leading the way. And I had my own individual leader that did not meet my vulnerability with compassion. Yeah. So I think it, it really takes something for an employee to be vulnerable and say, hey, I was diagnosed with depression and I might need, um, I might need to hit my, you know, to come to work a little late because I have doctor's appointments. But if that leader isn't going to meet that vulnerability with compassion, understanding and support, it sort of falls flat. So you really need to have people leaders educated, have, their, have them trained in emotional intelligence, have them comfortable talking to employees and supporting them. And most important, um, understanding the value of cultivating trust. Trust is a two-way street, yeah. and they actually have the ability to influence that. Um, I would say also a structured employee resource group or a peer community, like I mentioned before, hope. Hope is the biggest, most important thing that you can, you can um, give someone who's struggling. And if you can pull together employees who have navigated or have been impacted by this and they can support one another, it's your greatest resource there supporting each other. That, that's mm. amazing to me. Yeah. And then like we talked about storytelling and, and going first, creating a platform or some type of an opportunity, whether it's World Mental Health Day or here in the States, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, whatever it is, harnessing those types of opportunities to storytell and have, maybe it, maybe it's a senior leader who tells their story and you just go, wow, mm. man, that, that person puts their pants on one leg at a time too. <laughs> so, you know, it like- It makes us feel normal. Normally, yeah, it, there's a relatedness, right? And yeah. when there's relatedness, there's an access to something bigger. So- Whatever you can do to create those environments, um, those are some steps you can do as a company. And I think uh, this may not be, uh, and this could be a stigma thing, but I was just going to say it may not be uh, that uh, easy to incorporate. But when you think of mental health 
for example, and what sort of came up for me as you were talking is that we're in the workplace and, for example, a leader comes in, a manager, a supervisor comes in and says, okay, good morning, everyone. What we're going to do today is we're going to open the forum. I know this is, this is a very basic watered-down version. <laughs> we're going to open the forum for people to talk about how they're feeling. We're going to talk about what challenges they have. Are they, re- are they struggling? Are they doing well? Now, that in itself, potentially, with the stigma, could create a, a vibe of, oh, uh, what? We're going to, yeah, yuck. No. Oh. No. So what is a <laughs> what is a good approach <laughs> to yeah. create that environment, that culture to, as I said, start yeah. that snowball rolling? What's what's probably yeah. the best approach to a soft approach, I'm guessing. Exactly. It's yeah. definitely not that. You want people to feel safe. You want people yep. to feel um, that they have an environment where that can be discussed. You don't want it to put anyone on the spot like that. I would no. say, you know, it could just be um, it could just be pre-recorded a vignette of someone telling their story about bipolar disorder and having that shared and then organically allowing conversations to take place without, you know, maybe without a leader, maybe just people just talking about, you know, how, how they've been affected, but, but much more organically, you know, you can fertilize the environment and then allow it and see what happens, you know? And what you can talk about are, did you know we have these great resources? Did you know we have an 800 yeah. number? Did you know that you can get a, 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 tele, a telemedicine conversation with a physician like in 30 minutes? Did you know that? Mm. Just You should know that. So those are the yeah. kinds of things that I think could help. When I was um, working in a government agency before I started working with Parent Financial Group, I used to run large groups and a lot of my clients um, were unemployed. So their mental health was, that had a bit of a kick because, you know, they kept getting no, you didn't get that job, no. So rejection really, really um, started to, to affect their mental health. And um, so the first um, ever workshop that I ran, I... Um, played the um, TED Talk from Brenny Brown, um, The Power of Vulnerability, and that was a very soft approach. And I had, you know, 40 men in the room going, wow, they they hadn't even watched uh, a TED Talk before. And just like that softer approach, I didn't have to talk. It was just, you know, sitting in a room, watching a clip on The Power of Vulnerability, it just broke down just so many things just then yes. and there in that present moment and it allowed conversations when we, you know, turned it off and I'm like, it's, that's pretty powerful. And then I let the group talk. I didn't actually do it myself. Everyone just started having this courage to speak up about why they, why they become unemployed. How did they get to that space and how did they feel about being unemployed? So I love that softer approach that you were saying, Michelle, it's definitely something that it really, really needs to be navigated around in the right way because I think people with um, invisible disabilities or um, mental health um, problems, when you go to them and say you have a mental health issue, they can become quite offensive yeah. and then they will go down that other road of not seeking help. Yeah, fear, right? Yeah. You're going to judge me. You're not mm. going to consider me a, a strong, a strong team player. You're not yeah. going to give me the opportunities of my peer. There's all of those things that play out in their mind. And so denial then sets in and then, you know, then they try to navigate it in their head. And we all know that when you're trying to, to navigate something like a mental illness by yourself in your head it can become very, very dark. So you want employees to talk about it with someone they trust because it becomes far less scary when they verbalize how they're feeling, but it has to be, um, 
it has to be a softer approach. Absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously if an employee came to us and, um, you know, said, oh, I broke my leg playing netball on Saturday, we would say, take the week off, heal, exactly. rest up. But <laughs> exactly. we're talking about these invisible disabilities that we cannot see. So right. it's very hard to support somebody if they don't come and tell us. So that comes right. that trust. So we've got to build a culture of trust and yep. we have to build these cultures of um, come, we'll support you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The brain is just another organ, right? Absolutely. Like, but, why, yeah. but why do we act like it's like this thing you don't talk about? Like it's I just know. another organ. It's mm-hmm. so weird, isn't it? I, I've, I've always said this. I, I can't get my head around people uh, and um, you know, this is just me, um, mm-hmm. that people with, um, mental health illnesses um, get not looked at sometimes because people are such visual creatures. Yeah. You know, if, if they're in a wheelchair or if they had another um, disease, you know, crippling disease that you could actually physically see, you'd mm-hmm. jump out of your car and you'd help them with the trolley or you'd help them. But yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, um, I've seen um, a lady, you know, I was only a couple months ago seeing a lady crying at the um the shopping center and you do have this fear of um what's happened should i approach and i just went up to her and i said are you okay today and she said yes thank you for asking and because mm. I, I could visually see that she was crying visually seeing yeah. she was upset sitting on a chair by herself but i think so many times we do walk past people don't we because we just yeah. don't know what to say right Right. And I think, you know, and in the workplace, a place where you spend so much time, like, I think we all need to go back to basics and just treat people with compassion and care for one another because you're a person before you're an employee number. And including ourselves to compassion for ourselves. So forgiving yourself for feeling down, forgiving yourself for feeling like you're having a bad day because it is okay to have a bad day. It doesn't mean that you're going to continue down this spiral into a black hole and never come back out. So Mm. is it really, and I think it's an old culture, an old stigma that is we've, we've got to keep our shit together permanently. Yeah. Men or women. And Mm. you know, if you're seen to be not really handling life that well, it's like, Oh geez, check out this guy. They're flying off the handle or there you go. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's pretty, and it's such a, such almost an unwritten rule. Yeah. You've got to keep your shit together. If you don't, you kind of frown upon and go, well, we've got to distance ourselves from that person. So it's a real, yeah, it, a real challenge, that stigma, but you've worked hard on overcoming it. And what, what's probably three steps you could take? You probably covered off but if already, mm-hmm. but if we could drill it down into three things that you would suggest people can do as an employee yeah. or as a manager or a director yeah. or a company owner, what are three things they could do to help alleviate that stigma and, and open up conversations? Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to the basics, right? Checking in with one another eyeball to eyeball. We have yeah. technology in our hands all the time and we're texting or we're looking at social media, yeah. but like, what about connecting eyeball to eyeball? And I know we're dealing with a pandemic here, but like, imagine someone genuinely looking at you and saying, are you okay? How are you doing? And like mm. genuinely asking you that. So I think checking in with one another, making sure um, that people know that you're there. I think we put, we, place it on ourselves that we actually have to fix things when in in reality listening and just being an access for them to talk Mm -hmm. to um, and just listen could be the difference because they may not have someone at home asking them that question. So I would say definitely checking in with one another and then just like getting present to how you're feeling. Like you just mentioned, um, 
getting present every morning. How are you feeling today? It seems yeah. so basic, but we busy ourselves so quickly with our routines that we don't actually check in with ourselves. And then mm. we start acting irrit irritated or annoyed. And, and really, maybe we're just having a bad day. Like you just said, we could have some compassion for ourselves and, mm. and one another, right? It's okay to not have a good day. Yeah. Um, so compassion for yourself, um, definitely checking in on one another. And then, you know, I, I like to say, especially now during what we're dealing with, checking in on the ones that are quiet because you have no idea what they're dealing with. They, you might assume that the, the strong one is okay, but don't assume that and check in on the ones that, um, that are quiet or the ones who maybe have vanished from, you know, social media or whatever, yeah. just making sure that you're, that they know you're there. Yeah. Okay. That sounds yeah, really, really yeah. good tips. Uh, one more thing. You have um, a really, really interesting youth program. Yes. Um, can you, can you please explain that to me? What, what it's all sure. about? I think it's amazing. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. So this is part of my healing as well. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, um, Kelly, I actually created uh, a children's wellness group, um, a program out of my own healing because I was asked in a leadership course, if you could, if you could do uh, change the world, what would you do? And I said, I, I would want children to be present to their greatness because that was a gap yeah. I had with my mom being unavailable to me. It was like, I just want kids to realize that they're limitless and that yeah. they're perfect, whole and complete as they are, which is the name of the program. Perfect. Just the way you are. Mm. So I created a, a children's program that evolved actually into a mental mental well-being program it's now a one-day mental health fair where students students are teaching other students things that they can do to take care of their um, mental health their well-being right we teach empathy we teach compassion we teach meditation where to go if you're feeling anxious um, understanding your emotions so there's like all kinds of really softer things that here in the US we don't have in our curriculum there's just not enough time for teachers to teach this. So it's really around giving them tools and tips to be able to navigate childhood and young adult stress and anxiety mm. from whatever yeah. testing or preparation that they're doing. Yeah, because when I read that, I'm like, oh, my God, it's so true. Like, um, as you were brought up as a young young lady and daughter with a mum that had un I was untreated bipolar, wasn't it? And um yeah. For some reason, we just think mental health happens to um, adults. You know, you, you know, you become parents, become workers, and it's and the stress load becomes on you. And all of a sudden, we have mental health, but we forget about our young children and about the, the roofs that they're living under and the mm -hmm. environments that, that um, you know they're yeah. they're going through. So I love that program, and thank you for um, founding that. That's an awesome program. Yeah, uh, because thank that, you. that ends up in. Um, they become adults. Yes. And like you said, we oh, as yeah. children we learn that we're limited. We yeah. learn it. But it's not the yeah. case. We're not we're not born to be no. limited. We're born to be live our purpose, be right. our true selves and expand and be the best version of ourselves, not become limited by our environment or what we thought we should be. Or yeah. in your case, what we think we're responsible for. Right. Exactly. And I, I love the idea of like I wish I had some of the things that we teach those kids as you know, as a young adult, because it it is going to empower them to be able to navigate stress in an entirely mm. different way. Like yeah. I, I didn't have tools on breathing techniques and, you know, relaxation. Yeah. Uh, what does that look like to go to my visual, to visualize my happy place? I wish yeah. I knew that as a 12 year old, you know? 
I've tried to actually try to get our twelve-year-old son to mm. do the, even just breathe and take five breaths. What? That doesn't do anything. <laughs> Try three. Do for? <laughs> just three? do three. Five's too many. If you do three, <laughs> just do three. Because three has been proven to actually shift the energy in a classroom of, of rowdy children. They've, they've done oh, studies about three. that. that three deep breaths three? Will, will shift the entire energy Amazing. of the room. So, Actually, I want to touch on something, and, I, and it's possibly something we should have brought up in the first place. Now, what I come to <laughs> think It's not like us. No. Let's just circle back about 30 minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> mental health or a mm-hmm. mental health illness or a mental health issue now mm-hmm. when i hear that i think bipolar schizophrenia all those sorts of really i guess heavy type of mental health issues but i want to get some context around understand that mental health mm-hmm. has a very broad spectrum but for listeners in particular and for leaders of businesses when it comes to mental health how What's the, I guess, the smallest form of mental health to the most extreme? Where does it kind of consideration of mental health really start? Is it, so, hey, Michelle's listen, having a bad day, pat on the back, no, you're okay. No. <laughs> I want to I get people to understand that let's look at mental health like we do physical health, right? We all have mm-hmm. years when we were physically in better shape than other years pre-covid and post-covid come on now like the covid 15 whatever you want to call it like all i know is in february i was in great shape i don't know what happened (laughs) actually i do but like we all have periods of time where we have better physical health and and then lower physical health where we're maybe a couple of pounds heavier you got to look at mental health that way because we're traveling along Mm. this mental wellness like scale if you will and we're going to have moments where you know, unless you have a chronic mental illness like schizophrenia or, you know, you've been diagnosed with major depression, for the most part, many of us are floating along this and we're going to have different different experiences of mental health. So we all have it and we're all, you know, we're all just kind of having life show up and how how we've been trained to deal with that from our childhood actually empowers us or doesn't empower us to navigate that well or not. So, I mean, you could look at anxiety, you can look at, you know, depression. I think um, the problem is, is when we try to label it as a mental illness, it's like, Mm. no, we're all floating along the mental wellness um, compendium, I guess is the way to say that. that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Mm. like that, that makes it less wrong and less of a thing, right? Yeah. Because Because everyone does have bad days. Like you don't have 365 good days. Like I've never met anybody that has said to me every day of this year, it's been amazing. Like, right. oh my God, if there is a listener out there, I want you to be on our podcast. I'm not sure if the Dalai Lama <laughs> may be listening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to the Dalai Lama. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that it can't happen, but like you were saying, Michelle, um, life ebbs and flows. Like, yes. things happen. Things are, come up and we just don't know. And then we do our best to navigate them around them. And will yeah. they take us down sometimes? Maybe they will. Will we find the strength and courage to st- stand up and go, it's okay? Right. That's what's going to happen too. Right. And, and it's those periods of time when you are 
or are um, taken out for an extended period of time, if 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 your well-being is uh, not well for a longer period of time, if your joy is compromised, if it's mm. turning into a pattern, you know, then you know, okay, maybe I need to reach out and get help because this isn't just a bad day. You know, if it's compromising your joy, raise your hand, get some kind of support. You deserve it. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. I want to get your opinion, Michelle, and your experience with who you dealt with and even for yourself, that for me personally, what I have learned over the years is that the the ebbs and flows we spoke about, the ups and downs, the downs can actually actually become a lot shallower. So the more that you put all these good things into practice, the downs become a lot shallower. So a bad day isn't so bad. What it becomes is a passing moment as opposed to an all-encompassing day or an all-encompassing mood. So for you and by your experience, how what what could you teach for people from a daily practice point of view to start, I guess, making those down moments more shallow and the up moments probably a little bit higher, but overall, just, I guess, a more consistent flow of feeling content, joyful, and appreciation around us each day. So you mentioned Tony Robbins. I love Tony Robbins. So one of the things he says <laughs> that is that guy's got honestly, some energy. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> he does, right? Like and, yeah. and what's his age now? No. Yeah. Um but like he always says that life is happening for us, not to us. So mm. I think it's a mindset too that those those bad days are the contrast to help us be able to appreciate the good days. But yeah. I can talk to you about what I dealt with. So last year I lost my job on a I got divorced on a Monday. Two days later I lost my job. So Jeez. I was dealing with that's a couple of bad two days. major life <laughs> events, right? In yeah. one week, right? That's in the top so, five. I think those two. Oh, my goodness. So it was really, (laughs) so it was really hard. Right. So, um, and luckily I had great friends I was surrounded by, but the thing that I did that that worked for me and that I lean into now when I'm having a bad day, especially I'm doing this whole quarantine solo as a single woman, it's not easy. I lean into fitness. I lean into health because I know that if I run the endorphin high from running Mm. or doing some type of exercise or a walk or yoga, that is going to help me. And so when I lost my job and was divorced, I dove right into training for uh, a triathlon. And honestly, that helped me stay focused on a goal. Um, So I allowed myself to get lost in feeling feeling better physically because that was where I was going to get momentum for the rest of the other areas of my life. Um, So it's like find something um, that is going well in your life and grab onto it. And that's going to give you momentum and that momentum will, will spill over to the other areas of your life. I'm glad Mm. you come back to that. I like that theory of momentum. Start with something that'll give you the momentum to keep going into other areas and overall wellness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exercise is big and usually becomes a lot of things, doesn't it? So it could be exercise, talking, meditation, eating well, sleeping well, there's a whole combination of factors. There's no real one fix it type strategy. It's a number right. of things. It is a number of things. And you have to do what feels good for you, right? Like I can't yeah. sit here and prescribe. You got to go and run five miles because that might not be your thing. It might be a yoga class. It yeah. might be a deep conversation with your best friend. It, everybody has, has to find their thing, but they have to have a thing. 
to go yeah. to. Thank you so, so much for your time today, Michelle. It's, um, it's been a- absolutely an incredible conversation with you. It's definitely something that I think we can all get better at doing. Yes. And leaning into those conversations. I think it's a, uh, I think it's something that, you know, big, big company, the cultures of companies can get better too. Um, yes. We're doing it, but I think there we, there's always room to be, be um, to be better. Absolutely agree. It's yeah. a, it, I believe we touched on a few things today, which is overlaid by stigma. Mm, so yeah. what, and in particular, what I wanted to touch on and you, we expanded on was what is mental health? It is yeah. sort of have this stigma of, it's labelled, there's a condition, it's some yeah. sort of problem that ends up needing to be fixed. And the really? way that you've articulated, I think, is really, really good. Mm. It's just more about ebbs and flows. Yes. It's mental wellness <laughs> overall. That physical. Yeah. Yep. And then it becomes part of overall wellness, not just mental wellness, but overall right. wellness in body, mind and soul pretty much. And if we can get all those three working well, then we're going to have less of the downtimes and more of the uptimes, or at the very least, more of the plateau of just feeling okay all the time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And we all have a, we all have a role with stigma. I just want to mention this. Yeah. We all have a role in stigma and I think it takes a little bit of courage. It only takes a little bit of courage for us all to be the one that goes first and starts talking about it. Right. A conversation is like the biggest enemy to a stigma. If you openly start to talk about just how you're feeling, you could actually start to normalize this thing called mental illness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> now, if you don't mind, Michelle, we've got a fast five that I would like to finish with. <laughs> now, I forgot about that. That's all right. <laughs> it's nice and quick. And what we would like, please, is the first impulsive response. Oh, oh gosh. Oh, gosh. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Okay, first one, what's the weirdest thing you're afraid of? Spiders. What's the weirdest thing you're afraid of? That's yeah, it's definitely weird. still spiders. <laughs> <laughs> They're weird. I've seen ugly ones and scary yeah. ones and big ones. No, sorry. Okay, fair enough. And if you, just for the experience, not because you're envious of anyone, but just for the experience, who would you swap lives with for a day? <laughs> oh, man, Tony Robbins. <laughs> it has to be. It has yeah. to be. That guy's got the life. Fiji with his beautiful <laughs> wife. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, I reckon that'd be a good one too because it'd be... How the hell do you have that sort of energy? How does he wake up? Yeah, yeah. What's your, what's your formula? <laughs> <laughs> what's your formula, Tony? Yeah, Come exactly. on. <laughs> All right. And if you had $10 million of cash land in your bank account today, what would you be doing with your time? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm working on a global mental health project right now, and it's definitely shifting how mental health shows up across the globe. I would definitely put my money toward that because we have countries that are far worse than ours than yours and mine who need, who needs support. So we have to eradicate this and help people get mental health. Absolutely. Look at it like a broken arm and see it for the support that it needs. Yeah, for sure. All right. Next one. Who is your greatest influence? You know, it's so funny. Um, Kelly mentioned her before, but when I actually was asked to give my Ted talk, I actually reached out to Brene Brown to tell her the reason why I said yes was because of her TED Talk. Mm. So it's definitely her. Brene Brown, cool. All right. And last but not least, what is, if you could sum it up in a few words, what sort of impact do you want to leave on the world? I want to end suffering for people who suffer in silence with their mental illness and don't have the courage 
or the strength to get the care they deserve. Love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much for being on It's More Than Money because we believe that inspiring stories like yours, Michelle, um, will help listeners out there globally um, to have the, maybe have the strength and courage to start these, um, these different cultures and conversations in their workplaces, in their home lives, with their friends. And where can our listeners find you? Sure. My website is michelledickinson.com and that's with two L's and it's Dickinson, D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N. So that's my website. You can reach out to me there. You can find my blog. You can find my email address. Um, Follow me on Instagram if you'd like. It's michelledickinson71. So yeah. (laughs) You've got a stack of links and URLs. There's YouTube, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's LinkedIn. Yes, You're very easy me. to find. Yeah. Yes. And you've got a lot of awesome content. Yeah. And I just wanted to say thank you for sharing your story with Absolutely. the world. Absolutely. Thank you. You've inspired so many people. And I hope our listeners and anyone out there, after listening to this podcast today, is inspired to have that first conversation. So thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. Thank you both for wanting to have me on. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime. We've got our emails now. We can zoom <laughs> each other. Yay. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to It's More Than Money. This podcast has been recorded and produced at Brisbane Podcasting Centre. Before we go, don't forget to click on the subscribe button for this podcast and wherever you listen to it, give it a rating as well. If you'd like to find out more, you can always go to our website, parentfg.com, or you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Please leave a suggestion for a future topic if you wish. Either way, we'd love to hear from you, so let us know your thoughts. We'll have another episode soon. Thanks for listening to It's More Than Money. Take care. We'll catch you next time.